Welcome to the 12th episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about one woman's story of building her career in a notoriously male-dominated industry to the juggling act of motherhood as a CX solopreneur during lockdown. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She began her career in construction retail as the only girl on the shop floor as a graduate with Wosley and spent 10 years changing the face of the construction industry customer experience before branching out into finance at Barclaycard and starting her own company, Yaxi X. As well as being the mum to two gorgeous children, she also recently gave birth in the form of co-authoring two best-selling CX books. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Hannah Foley. Hey, Hannah. Hello. Nice to see you. (laughs) Welcome to the Women in CX podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I bet you're also super excited as at the time of recording, today is the publication of your second collaboration book, CX2, is that right? Woo! (laughs) Yes, yeah, no, really exciting. It's really exciting for it to be going out on the Kindle launch and I can't wait for a few weeks time to get an actual hard copy in my hands. Oh, wow. Well, many congratulations and welcome to all the listeners as well. Um, Let's dig in, shall we? Let's go. Okay, so... I guess, Hannah, I count you as one of my original Women in CX community members because it's been a while since we connected back in the day on Instagram. But I always will remember you as being one of the first women who supported and inspired me as you just started your own business, hadn't you, as well? And I was the CX nomad and we connected just after you'd launched your brand, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I'd been following you for quite a quite a long time because there weren't many people on Instagram sort of 15, 18 months ago. Um, and you were you were one of the, the people on Instagram, and I love Instagram. I'm like, I need to put Instagram on do not disturb because I'm constantly scrolling. It's like my biggest time waste is scrolling my Instagram feed. But yeah, and I just like your content, and I think it's so I love Instagram because it's really authentic and I think I'm really enjoying at the moment seeing more of like the CX sisterhood and people being more authentic on LinkedIn because it always felt like there was this separate thing and so yeah it was really really nice to connect with you and be inspired to be to kind of to leave the corporate world and actually start my business so yeah thank you that's so nice to you so anyway, I think you're the only other person I know who's got three Instagram accounts like me. <laughs> three that you, that you know of. <laughs> three that, oh my god, have you got more secret ones? <laughs> three, and then I run my husband's ones. I've got. I keep putting random because of the algorithm. I've got, I think it was um, you get random people that are like CX people start following my husband's window company because there's obviously the connection with mine in the background. So Instagram goes, oh, here's some accounts you might like. <laughs> So when you see them popping up, you're like, oh, I wonder who's behind that one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally get you. Yeah, I've got like one that's about fitness and CX people keep trying to follow me on there, but it's like a private account because I'm in my gym gear all the time. But <laughs> so no offense to anyone that's tried to follow me on my private Insta. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping that bit of my life separate. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, so no, no, where are we going to start today? So, so I guess as well as being an incredibly inspiring woman in CX, I really admire your work as the unsung working mum 
as one of your Instagram accounts because I love how you're talking so plainly about how bloody hard it is to work and be a mummy at the same time. So we'll definitely be coming back to that one shortly. Um, but also I'm equally inspired by the brilliant work that you've been doing in your local area of Leamington Spa and Warwickshire um, with your initiative to bring working women together through Cloud Femme and the community there. Oh, I love it. It's, yeah, it's uh, Cloud Femme. I started, so when I started my own business, how long ago is that? Just over a year ago. Um, I started contracting for a little while. Sorry. I was going to say, in fact, let's start there with why is Yak CX called Yak CX? And we'll come oh, to the Unsung Working <laughs> Mum and uh, Cloud Firm shortly. <laughs> That's probably the right order to do it in, actually. So the yak, the yak bit for my business came from, so before I was a mum, before, after sort of working for a while, I'd always had this goal. I'd set myself some goals in my 30s. And one of them was to go to Everest Base Camp. And in... Yeah, I won't tell you the year. A few years ago, I turned 30. And in my 30th year, I realised, like, the sort of November, December, before I turned 30, that I hadn't done this yet. I was like, right, I need to book it. And I didn't have any kids, didn't have a relate like a steady relationship or anything. And I had no commitments except for my dog. Um, I was like, right, I'm going to book this. So I booked it in the November, early December. And I went to Nepal in the following March. So I didn't give myself much time. My friends were like absolutely kill me because I was like right January we need to go to Snowdon and do a practice walk we went up to Snowdon and there was so much snow it would get lived up to its name so I went to Everest Base Camp and I went on my own in um, March of the following year and it was just incredible and it was something I'd always wanted to do and there's always reasons there's always reasons and I think like work I'd always been so like committed to my job working all hours and you always think oh no no you can only have two weeks holiday or you can always have a week here and there and I, I said to my boss I was like look I've been here for nearly eight years I've like slogged my guts out do you know what I would really like three four weeks to be able to go and do this this means a lot to me and do you know what actually when you ask about these things people are quite welcoming we just have these own like inhibitions in our own heads that people are going to go oh no you can't do that it's not in our not in your contract you can't do that and so I went and it was just incredible and I went and there was a it was with an organized tour so I didn't I didn't go and do it all by myself so. I went on my own yeah but actually just flying I never flew, flew that far on my own like you as the the nomad like it's like I can think back to like your first time you went far flown well you probably mm. like for you but for me like the furthest I'd ever been was that far on my own in my sort of when I got to 30 and we went via, via Mumbai, so I had a bit of a flight change at Mumbai and then into Kathmandu. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before, but it was just incredible. And look at photos of Kathmandu and the thing that struck me more than anything at the time was all of the wires. Like if you look at photos, I don't know if you've been to Nepal, but like the cables and the wires everywhere, like all these old telephone wires and everything. It's just like, it's just amazing. And then you're driving around and there's just a cow sat in the middle of the road. And no, everybody drives around the cows because they're sacred. And you just think, like, this is just nuts that there's a cow in the middle of the motorway. Mm. They're like four lane road, and everybody's driving around it. Like, everybody drives nuts, don't they, yeah. around the world? Yet they all slow down and go the really cow. careful. <laughs> cows, yeah. So I did my trek up to every space camp. It's like nine days up, six days down, staying in like the little tea houses. And the tour company that I went with had their own permanent camps as well so we stayed in tents and it was a group there's probably 
think there was 12 of us trekking and we had Sherpas and then we had about six yaks on the mm -hmm. journey with them and they carried all of our gear. So we would load up these big bags, the yaks would carry them ahead, we would trek with the Sherpas and then we'd get to camp or the tea house and our bags would be there ready for us. And then we got all the way up to Everest Base Camp, which by the time I got up there, I didn't have any altitude sickness, but the day that I actually got to Everest Base Camp was basically like I'd drunk way too much on a night out because I like, literally felt drunk. I was like staggering my way into base camp. It was like nothing I'd ever imagined, but I made it. So I was really, really chuffed because there was a three of our group didn't actually get there because of altitude sickness. So fast forward, that was pretty sort of, I think life is quite life changing for me. It was a lot of time to reflect, a lot of time with headphones on, a lot of time chatting to people that come from all different walks of life. And actually most of the group, there's only one guy the rest in terms of the trekkers the rest of us were all female so just incredible women with incredible stories so it was it's quite a profound moment for me and I when I hear certain songs on my like Spotify or on the radio it takes me back to certain parts of the journey which feels like yeah that's for me is really like cathartic at certain times so fast forward to like been a mum and to 18 months ago I was like do you know what I I think I'd like to have a go at sort of setting up my own company. And you go through all of these ideas that like, what am I going to call my business? I was like, there's already like loads of incredible like CX related names and some really nifty little things. I was like, right, what am I going to call it? And I went through all of these words to do with like going up to Everest because that had been a bit of a turning point for me in my career. And I was like, Ascent, Sherpa, and there's already loads of businesses with all those names. I was like, right, how did I get there? the yaks I was like oh I wouldn't have got there without the yak and so then the more I was sort of thinking about the yaks kind of got all these kind of real um connections with customer experience so like they can weather any storm like those yaks are so built for the conditions they can weather any storm and that's what you want from your business you want your business when times are tough when you're facing a recession you want to know that your customers are going to be loyal so I thought right, well, that's a good connection um, high performing at altitude again they've got all the right equipment the right tools for the job to keep them going so when your business is growing you want to know that if you grow at scale you're going to be ready for whatever that throws at you so the ability to do that um, reliable and consistent so what do we want from our businesses or that we're we give our loyalty to we just want them to be reliable and consistent over anything don't we if if you don't you can't trust them to be reliable that's a problem so those yaks whatever the weather whatever the bags whatever we threw at them whatever the conditions were like we were going over rope bridges across these huge canyons like rope bridges and these massive yaks are trekking are like scaling these bridges so you know actually these guys are just they're gonna deal with whatever this kind of mountain throws at them and then finally, like I mentioned before, cows, yaks, they're sacred animals. They're so well respected. And ultimately, we all want our businesses to be number one in their field. And I work with everybody wants to be number one, don't they? You want to be the oh. business that everybody looks up to. So those are my four kind of so maybe tenuous, my four links to the yak that I've kind of underpinned my business with. So there's a short, long answer to your short question. <laughs> 
I, I love the yak metaphor and I knew that it was something to do with you tra- having traveled because I saw your website, but I didn't, I love the imagery of some of the stories that you just told there. I'm imagining these yaks tiptoeing across <laughs> the bridges, uh, the rope bridges. It sounded absolutely incredible. And yeah, I guess like you, travel was a really life-changing experience for me in wanting to become independent I guess in work as well because once I discovered solo travel which was actually later than your age actually so you were 30 I was 35 the first time I traveled on my own so I was only yeah I was only the CX nomad after I left Sainsbury's but yeah that um, that whole experience of getting out there and living (laughs) with the freedom to do it entirely on your own terms I agree with you that it was a huge turning point for me too so I can really feel you on that one so it makes you feel very grateful doesn't it it makes you feel being out there and going and seeing different cultures you just feel very proud and grateful for what you've got as well don't you because it's so easy to see things on a tv but it doesn't feel quite real until you actually step yourself onto the soil of somebody else's country that you go yeah 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 I wasn't solo, but India, like I remember the cows <laughs> when I traveled backpacked with my friend around India. But yeah, you know, like seeing the reality of just how easy and nice that you've actually got it in the UK, for example, yeah. in comparison to, I don't know, the poor parts of Delhi. Like I was, I you know, like you say, you see it on TV, but until you actually genuinely see how hard some people's lives are, I don't think you really do appreciate yeah. your own either. So yeah, that attitude of gratitude that comes from travel. I'm totally with you on that one as well. So kind of pre-yak days, <laughs> before yak, um, you started out in the construction industry, I see. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. so construction merchanting. So kind of like B to B to C. So my customers were plumbers, heating engineers, house builders, or the contractors working for the house builders. So yep. from very like local one-man bands right up to big national contractors that you would see building sort of tower blocks in London so a real spectrum of small woman bands right through to big corporate organizations and for me that is a really unexpected place to find customer experience but as we know today someone got in touch with me asking me um, for CX support in this industry and obviously I referred them straight to you because I wouldn't have a clue where to begin when it comes to plumbers and piping Um, but from the outside in um construction seems to be a particularly male dominated environment and as i said you know a world where the customer experience might not automatically spring to mind i was just wondering what was it like working as a woman in such a male dominated end customer industry and how was it trying to track uh, sorry crack the cx code when it came to emotion and empathy in I guess what is quite a transactional environment <laughs> yeah it was like I'll be real it was a really it was tough so like you say there are so many things that I well I absolutely love the industry so I absolutely love the construction industry and I loved working in, in the company I worked for so one of the biggest merchants so we had like 600 stores across the UK and like the first I started I did their graduate program so I started I went around a load of graduate affairs and I was like right I want to work for a FTSE 100 company and I stro- came across this one and uh, their graduate scheme and 
I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. So went in, my dad had a bit of background in construction. I was like, right, I'm gonna, gonna go for it. And I got accepted onto the graduate program and it was sort of bogs and boilers. And I was like, this is very glamorous, but let's see what it's gonna throw at us. And the first three months was actually working in a in a branch in one of the merchants. So you had three months on the ground. And like you say, it's a really male-dominated environment. So the, the branch manager, he said to me after the first month, he goes, this has been our best sales month because word had got round that there was a girl working <laughs> up in, in, our, in this store locally. There was a girl there. Like, like it was very unheard of. Like, they were only talking 15 years ago, but there would kind of there were no women in any of the like the branches around the country very like there might have been a couple of sort of like maybe like admin ladies um and there were women in the, the head offices but there were none in the, the branches so it was really interesting and I learned my way around uh, my 15 from my 22 old copper tube and <laughs> boilers and this that and the other and it I think like there is nothing better to equip you for a customer experience or having been at, on the shop floor of course I totally agree yeah, and my, my background was marketing, so I then worked in a number of marketing roles, and it was interesting because it was a, like I said, typically male-dominated environment. The deals had been done on the golf course, like the events program, but like the events part of the industry was was huge. So like the the curry nights, and that was, and it still is really big. It's a really social industry, which is great, and you can see within, like you talk about, we talk about empathy like the relationships the customers have with their branch teams and those guys and girls now that work behind those trade counters is incredible. And that's where a lot of the loyalty comes from because they know that when they need something and they're in a jam, they can ring up that branch manager. They can go in and see him. They can go and speak to the guys who've got relationships because they see each other like some of the, like two, three times a day. Like when you look, we look at like footfall numbers and we look at like behavioral data for the customers and it's it's like nothing you see in like other industries because they're just in and out and in and out um because things happen you'd go into like responsive maintenance jobs where somebody's boiler's broken you don't know what you're going to need and they'll have things on their vans but then they'll be like right i need this can you have you got it yep we've got it come in so then we sort of the insight that i was doing through marketing i was talking to them going look guys we've done loads of data we know who our customers are and we know we've got great relationships, but when you're one of the national, the biggest retailers in this industry, you can't rely on that alone. We have to have the products on the shelves when they need them. We have to have reliability. When we tell them we're going to deliver stuff, we've got to deliver it on the right time. You've got to be reliable. And we've got to consistent. So as we talked about on my yak bit, that reliability and consistency, if you don't do that, you're letting down your branch teams and you're letting down your customers and the the environment was becoming more and more competitive so i finally kind of got the ability or i got the the um investment to set up like a bit of a small cx function so we had a lot of investment to start gathering proactively voice of the customer insights so previously we might have done ad hoc insights when it was looking at what do people like from a catalogue or what do they want the website to look like but not on the things that really mattered on a day-to-day -day basis that generally came from conversations on the the golf course or from people's conversations with each other which was quite often the right things but actually was it the most important thing so gathering 
insight gave us the ability to actually make decisions off a foundation of insight and it gave us the ability to get better investment from the wider group which was brilliant so we started gathering lots of insight we started doing lots of focus groups and ethnographic stuff and that was really exciting because it was the first time that a lot of the senior leaders had actually seen what the customers had to say because a lot of the time it would come from the branch teams and move up the chain by email or by somebody talking saying oh we've had loads of customers complaining about this or this is a problem was actually you get them in a focus group and they're chatting and you've got we had people behind glass like we have our leaders behind glass and they're going oh wow that really is a problem we really need to do something about that so we got we started to get much more buy-in from just getting people involved and seeing the customers up front and actually seeing the kind of the raw things that were a problem so yeah, it's it's a fantastic industry to be a part of, and I'm sort of still a part of that industry, working with clients within there. But yeah, just yeah, so many. It was great to be a part of it, but there were always like there are always some downsides. I think from working in a very male-dominated environment, you kind of have to pick your battles, and you've often got to kind of fight your way for being heard sometimes. But I was very kind of honoured to. I'm privileged to work with some really great leaders who valued my input and actually valued my perspective and gave me time at the table to share with them ideas or things that I thought they no, see they weren't always the ones that got forward but um yeah no it was it, yeah it was good sort of 12 years working there it was it was great fun as well it's a really a really good environment it was i think some of the, the funny parts of the careers when things like the uh, banter at work courses have to come in because of uh, the levels of banter in a uh, trade environment and a retail environment yeah so. i was going to say like traditionally i guess that like, catcalling and stuff is synonymous with builders isn't it so can only imagine what being a um, the first woman to ever work in a trade shop might have <laughs> been like for you at some times so um, now I'm really interested to hear a bit more about your experience of becoming a working mum because clearly you're ambitious when it comes to your career and you want to work but was motherhood something that you always aspired to as well? Um, I was when I was watching your uh, podcast with Ina and Claire and Rachel and it's really interesting I love the, the conversations that you guys have guys had and hearing Rachel's journey and planning and so forth then you were talking about how you would plan it for me becoming a mother wasn't planned so it was it was unexpected about a month before I found out I was pregnant my dad sold his antique rocking horse because he told me I was never going to have kids um because of my kind of like I'd never really been that maternal I'd never seen kids really as a big part of my future that I got pregnant we all know how that happens uh, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't a yeah a conscious yeah. <laughs> uh, thing but I, I can honestly say it was the, the best thing that ever happened to me and mm. I've got two children so that was just shortly after I came back from Everest Base Camp um, wow. uh, about six months later I got pregnant and yeah and it's just it was quite hard to get my head around at first like you say having never really seen it as part of my future but it wasn't it wasn't a disaster when it happened it was just one of those things where it's like Phew. like what does this mean now and I think until I actually left work on maternity leave I didn't quite anticipate all of the kind of emotions and how that would feel going from like being in a career a million miles an hour to being at home 
with this little creature, keeping them alive, feeding them, being on their, at their beck and call. Um, and then it's quite lonely and isolating as maternity leave. You've got to kind of make, you've got to be very proactive about going out. Like you'll see people are like friends and family pop in, but actually it's, yeah, it's very, it's very lonely. The nights are quite long and the days are unexpected. You don't know what's going to happen to you, what's going to, what that day is going to bring. And it took quite a long time for me to kind of personally adapt to that. And my partner, he was brilliant. Um, he like was very like we're very equal in our relationship he's the one that gets up in the morning and makes the pat lunches and makes the cups of tea like now he's the one that gets up with a kid in the morning I'm I'm a night owl not an early bird luckily I married an early bird in the end um, so yeah and then going back to work having had a child and then going back into the workplace that was probably the hardest part for me was you think you're going to go back to everything as it was before and you're not and it it probably took me probably until after I went back after my son um three years later to actually get my priorities in the right order because I was trying to do everything I did before mm. with my daughter before I was pregnant with my career but with a child and everything that comes with that and you just have this like permanent mum guilt and it never goes away no matter how balanced you think you've got it's just this permanent mum guilt of should I be at home should I not and I think like stay at home mums have that guilt well should I be going to work should I be doing this and if you're a working mum there's this oh everybody thinks I should probably be at home or and nurturing my children and not be going out to work but for me it was it was a no-brainer and not working was something I could never do because to be a good mum in my humble opinion you have to be happy in yourself as well and that's probably become more of a reality over the last few months for me or even probably the last month and a half two months after lockdowns relaxed probably the most stark realization of that for me is that I'm not good at home 24 7 seven days a week with my kids it's just it's not healthy for me it's not healthy for them they get so much out of going to school and spending time with family and I get a lot out of interacting with people like you with clients with friends with fellow women in business you just I need that interaction and I need that be able to celebrate your successes like the book being able to write a chapter for a book and get my head into that and then see that come to fruition just gives me a buzz and then it makes me a better person when I go home mm. and so it's about trying to um, when you did your Instagram lives mm. last month that was really interesting that kind of work-life balance um piece with your the like I can't remember her name sorry the, the, uh, fry. Uh, yeah that was brilliant because it's it is that it's trying to find that balance mm. and trying to find that you know you never have that balance but actually finding that piece where that bit where you go actually I'm I'm all right with mm. being at work and the kids being in childcare and that's okay for me and you, you've got it's so individual mm. being a mum that you've got to find what works for you and it's I see you see I see other friends they've made other decisions and decisions that I wouldn't have made but it's right for them and that's what's so important everybody's situation is so unique mm. as a parent and I think that's what I've sort of 
if I ever went back to work and had a team again, I think I would have much greater appreciation for mm. people's out of work lives because it's whether that's children, whether that's I, I read a, an article not long after I'd had Erin and it was when kind of flexible working and stuff was still quite very new. We've been catapulted at the moment, haven't we, to this kind of getting this work-life balance. And it was um, it was a company in Australia. It was a big brand. I can't remember which one. But basically, it was a manager talking about the fact that one of his team loved to surf and he lived for the surf. And actually, he said, look, if there's surf in the morning and that's what you love doing, then just text me and let me know. And if you come into work two hours late and you make those two hours up another time, then that's fine. Because I know that when you come to work, because you've ridden that wave and you've got that buzz, you will be much a much better person in the workplace and I will get more out of you. And I think that really hit a chord for me. And I think it's it's not about just being a parent. We've all got things, whether we're parents or not, in our lives that are just so important to us as people that as a leader or a manager, you've just got to let your people be because if they can't be who they are, then when they come to work, they're not going to be the right people for the job either because they, they're not going to be able to do what you need them to do. Yeah, just thinking back to that IGTV I did with Claire Fry, she said that she didn't believe it to be a balancing act because that means that some at some point you will find it. She called it a juggling act of parenthood. So it's more like trying to keep everything moving in in the air (laughs) whilst priorities and stuff have to um, change continuously. And I guess there's a non-parent, if if that's the word, (laughs) someone without children. Um, I find like the juggling act of my own life hard as it is. So, you know, just balancing like relationships, health and well-being, financial priorities, career stuff. Um. I never have enough time for myself. So I have absolutely no idea how working parents and particularly these unsung mums and unsung single mums that um, I'm starting to meet more amazing role models actually at the moment managed to fit it all in. Was there anything that you ever had to make a trade-off that you didn't feel that you made the right decision? Did you ever like have to choose work or kid priorities? Yeah, I think, I think, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there. That's a that's a really difficult part of the journey of becoming a parent. Is that point where you have to make a choice? And I think at first, I remember like my little girl being poorly, and the time when I stepped back and went, "This shouldn't even be a choice of staying here and leaving a little bit longer in childcare to try and finish this meeting. This should just be." If I'm working for the right people, then they will understand that I'm not going to be giving my whole self if I'm not if my head's not in it. So I, f- I think I realised quickly, and that was part of starting starting Yak was when I was pregnant with my son. My daughter kind of got that year before she started school with me, and I had more time, and it was really valuable. And once they start school, you realise that that's it for the next however many years. From Monday to Friday they're in school and you can't do so many things with them so I, so I there were two reasons when I started my company were one I want to see what I can achieve as a entrepreneur and as a woman starting her own business and two I want to spend more time with my son before he starts school this September 
um, not quite as much time as I've, <laughs> I've now been gifted over the last few months. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, and I think it's that, like you say, the, the trade-offs you have to make, they're not, they don't feel quite so much trade-offs when you're okay with that and you realize that a lot of things in our lives we might think they, they need to happen at this point in life but you know what it's not the end of the world if that doesn't happen till a couple of years later and and that's I'm not I'm not a big planner and I'm so for me if things sometimes don't happen at the time that I think they're going to happen then that can be adapted and we can do stuff like we went to Australia last year with the kids and I would never have taken the kids to Australia with on a 24-hour flight when my little boy is two years old but my brother was getting married and he lives out there he moved out there a couple of years ago but it was brilliant and actually my choice would have been no we're not we're not going to Australia it'd be a waste of money taking the kids they're not going to remember it he's definitely not going to remember it but you know what it was a brilliant experience they still talk about it now and so sometimes when things happen that you don't expect when you don't expect them to happen it's not always the end of the world you just have to kind of live it and see what happens and do you mm -hmm. know what I'm, I am a bit of a strong believer in fate and that things will happen at the right time and sometimes you just yeah. have to just have to roll with it don't you and see what happens and it sounds like it's a, a bigger plan for us yeah it sounds like it's a theme for you um <laughs> yeah something happening not kind of on purpose but ended up being the making of you I like that um so kind of going back to you I think there's a couple of things that you mentioned there which was the inevitable parental guilt which again I have no frame of reference for but I can imagine I empathize being um and also then you said about you know you wanted to spend more time with your son but lockdown gave you more than you actually ever anticipated you could have or would want to have I remember talking to you during lockdown and I remember you were quite down about the experience of kind of being an enforced stay-at-home mum because as you said you know we're already in this conversation like that environment doesn't suit you so well because you want to be out and in, engaging and interacting and then when you come home you're the best version of yourself I just wondered like was that one of those kind of parental guilt moments because I'd imagine it from the outside looking in you'd be like I, I should be appreciating this and loving having all this time with my family but if you're not feeling good about it at the same time that must be really hard yeah I think it's and I think maybe it's a bit we've talked about the theme like imposter syndrome before it's almost like that imposter thing of like am I actually a good mom and you sometimes question yourself when you're not that kind of I'm not a big earth mother I'm not I'm not great at thinking of all the recipes to cook them and you can, we can just be very overcritical of ourselves can't we and it was really hard to adapt to that like the first three weeks for me when we were kind of enforced and we were all at home was probably the best bit of it upon reflection now because it was very clear we were at home and actually we could do loads of things all together and the whole family was at home and everybody was in the same boat then as things have relaxed that's become really hard that's become more hard for me and I think only over the last couple of weeks have I really kind of found the rhythm of that because like seven days a week kind of being at home like my husband's business is really really busy at the moment and I'm sort of early days relatively early days of starting my own business so we kind of had to that for me again that was a difficult decision for us to have a difficult conversation about that but 
I've been like he's been very supportive in terms of well look you go and have a couple of days and here and there where we can Mm -hmm. but ultimately and that's where it it is kind of a bit of a different thing the the kind of the nurturing role falls to the mother and we've also been having a bit of building work going on so it's been a bit I like lives have just been a bit disruptive and it's it is it's tough and like you say that mum guilt creeps in in everything you do oh am I feeding them the right food I should really be making them something home cooked and not chicken nuggets again I won't tell you what we had for lunch today uh, <laughs> and <a> yes. chicken. <laughs> yeah chicken nuggets <laughs> and chips again I'll come around to your house with you Monday night chicken nuggets Tuesday night chicken nuggets <laughs> <laughs> there is more than that but yeah it's not the most imaginative um yeah and it just creeps in in everything and like they're just like with work, I think that the customer experience stuff or the work stuff of doing that for so many years, like, and you learn as you grow in your career. I think I'm just learn. You've got to learn as you go. Being a parent, and you teach yourself what to do as you go, and you've got to kind of again look rip your YouTube videos, find your mum groups, find your tribes, and find your people that can give you ideas and. What are you guys do with your kids today? I've got a cardboard box. What the hell am I going to do with that? Right. What can we make this into to pass an hour or three hours away today? So it's just, yeah, it's just learning to be kind to yourself, I think. And I think that goes to whatever walk of life you're in. And if you're working like you do work so hard and round the clock, and like, you've just got to find ways to be kind to yourself, haven't you? And accept that we're not always going to be on our game. I'm not always going to be on my game as a mum. I'm not always going to be on my game as a wife or as a, a consultant or as a business owner that you've just got to yeah, be kinder to yourself and go, do you know what? That's okay. Mm-hmm. Step back, be set and go again when you're ready. And you have to do the same as a parent. You've got to go, do you know what? Today was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow is another day mm-hmm. and we'll feel better tomorrow after a gin. Yeah, it's done after a gin. It's so true that, I think it's not an exclusively motherhood no. issue. This perfectionism or feeling like you ha- you aren't doing enough or winning enough of the time. I think it's perhaps like an inherently female thing because I don't have kids, but I'm still experiencing a lot of the emotions that you just talked about, especially when it comes to work not being something enough. Um, and it's really, it's really difficult. I remember another time, another lockdown conversation that you and I had when I was in a terrible place, wasn't I? And like, I could see my business disappearing and um, just not really knowing like how to kind of weather that. Never mind bounce back at the time. Just like, how am I going <laughs> to get through to the next day without it feeling like the whole world was closing in? Um, so I think you're right, you know, the kind of self-care, being kind to yourself, like not having so much pressure that you put entirely on yourself because no one else is standing there going, you're a bad mum or you're a bad businesswoman or you're being crap at being an entrepreneur today. <laughs> it yeah. all comes from like with within and yeah, being able to kind of build, I guess, that skill and resilience and um, actually just not giving a fuck quite so much. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's, it's a really hard thing to and like today I feel really positive there'll be another day next week where I'm like oh this is terrible woe is me because it'll be like it's hard isn't it it's difficult and to especially at the moment like life is just nuts 
like yeah. we have never like we and it was really nice we sat around the table with my mum and dad last week and my dad was sort of saying to Erin my little girl was like look because in my lifetime we have never been through anything like this and he's 65 next week so you think actually this is like this is pretty major mm. this isn't something that is just yeah. happening like in the years to come this will be in children's curriculums this will be in the history lessons all that that time that covid struck and hopefully it's just yeah. that one year that covid struck and not that that's the first year i think i saw a meme where it said that was the first year that covid struck oh, no. No. I, I can't stay on this corona coaster any longer like i have to get off I feel like I'm like, I feel like I've just like got off and I'm like, you know, have that wobbly leg feeling because you've been thrown around so much. I feel like I've just, just, just got off the ride. I cannot get back on it straight away. Um, which I guess leads me to a final question really about, you, you mentioned you've got to find your tribe, you've got to find your community, you've got to get that group of people that you can um, bounce ideas off, like support each other, work together, get ideas about cardboard boxes for kids. Um, so Cloud Femme is, I think what you say in your own words, like your side hustle, just really briefly, like what's, what's Cloud Femme all about? Where did that come from? So I guess it's not even like hustling. It's just a real passion project for me. It's something I set up. I mentioned at the very beginning, I absolutely love Instagram and I do have a love-hate relationship with generally with social media, but I absolutely love Instagram and I love it as it's evolving because it's just people are being more, real. more authentic and real on there. And I, I'd always had this idea of like this, like women's, group. I've been to loads of like networking things and like women's networking groups. And I've never found one that I felt really comfortable at. And this wasn't intended to be like a networking thing. It was right on my Instagram feed. There are so many inspiring women and I'll go walking down the street in local, cause it's a local group. I'll go walking down the street in Leamington and I'm like, I've done it several times. I'll be like, hi. I'm like, oh, fuck, sorry. They don't know me. I'm like an Instagram stalker of that person. They have no idea who I am. I've just met them on, I've seen them on Instagram and I follow them and I watch all their stories like some weird stalker. So I was like, do you know what? I'm gonna like, like scratch an itch of my own. I was like, I wonder if, there's a the thing where if we get these women who have got these like and they're not like, we're not talking like women who have actually scaled to the top of Everest or so mm -hmm. like normal women who are local but who've got some pretty inspiring stories to share mm -hmm. so every month until lockdown we had a monthly mm -hmm. event where um, just a local woman would come and share her story so it's mm -hmm. kind of bringing women out of the cloud out of Instagram ah. to share their story so and it's at a brilliant local restaurant, a bar that was set up by um, a lady called Lou, who's only 25 and she's incredible. She's set up this bar. So she is like the epitome of what it's about and what um, like being an inspiring woman is about. Cause it's all pink. It's all very like her being like responsible for her own destiny. She's created it like this vision out of her head. And she <laughs> absolutely like is just so welcoming and yeah, they come and tell their stories and there's a bit like beginning, middle and end kind of where did you grow up, share your background, the things that you don't really share all the time on Instagram and what was your life like? Mm -hmm. And then a bit about what, what's your story now and then what does the future look like mm -hmm. for you? And it's really nice. It's lovely. It's like we're all, there's about 40 women present, so there's not any more than that. That's kind of our numbers. And it's a bit like sitting in somebody's living room and mm -hmm. it's it just 
yeah, it wasn't designed in any way, but it's just become this lovely group. We've got over 2,000 followers on Instagram now. And part of one of the things discovered was there were lots of women in business who are in, like, on their own who are at home running the business. And it's quite, you know, it's, it's quite isolating sometimes. You can be quite lonely being running your own business. And these might be jewelry makers, they might be marketing consultants, could be any sort of female entrepreneurs. And we found that, I found that there was loads of women in business coming out to our evenings. And actually, so it became more of a actually support network for local women in business. And by actually showcasing them on our Instagram, has really I've had some beautiful messages from some of the the local women especially like the younger women in business that have gone do you know what thank you very much like the cloud femme network has just helped me to catapult my business or I've actually managed to leave my job now and my side hustle is now my full-time job and it's just like gives me like a really warm, fuzzy feeling inside yeah. it's just I just love it and it, I just love doing it and I love finding like finding out about all these women's stories and they're not all like rosy stories there some of them are really difficult to hear but actually those women are sharing those stories in them sharing their stories they're helping to prevent some of the things that might have happened to them in their lives that have made the women that they are today as well which has been really incredible so yeah it's awesome so if anybody wants a follow on cloud femme see what we're all about it's lovely Yes, I've really enjoyed recently because you've not been able to meet up. You've been featuring women and their little stories on your Instagram. So I've really enjoyed it. So yeah, absolutely. Ladies, do you follow Card Fab? And what's the restaurant called? It sounds like that needs a plug as well. Oh, it's called Heart and Co. Um, Lou, yeah, Heart and Co. And she does like these pancake stacks and things. And she's just been incredible. The whole lockdown, they closed the restaurant. They'd never done a delivery service before. And she's been delivering like pancakes dinners pancakes you cannot imagine some of the burger fillings as well they've got like a biscoff burger like yeah it's incredible but yeah she's brilliant and just constantly like coming up with these incredible ideas okay can we go meet up there then for yeah sounds like we probably could now couldn't we so yeah i'll i'll spin up to leamington i know we've got some friends in common up there um yeah when it with a tedx event or something but yeah i want a biscoff burger and pancakes definitely Come on, <laughs> on pancakes. so thank you so much for coming on the show today i think you know, your work as a inspiring woman in cx as an unsung working mum and as the leader of the cloud firm community is truly inspiring so thank you for for joining us today Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. It's been really nice. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for setting up this podcast series because they're incredible. And I'm like blown away by some of the women already. And that's only you really like scratched the surface so far with, with them. So yeah, can't wait for more. So much, so much more awesome to come out of this community. I'm absolutely sure about it. So thank you for taking part today. Thank you very much to the listeners. That's it for now, Han. I'll be seeing you for those pancakes soon. <laughs> Take care. Bye. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next week when I'll be talking to a woman who brought CX to the debt recovery industry and share our many and varied experiences of women supporting women in and out of CX. See you all next week.